Hey, grace and peace to all of you. Captain Roger here from the Grass Valley Corps of the Salvation Army, and it is Christmas morning as I share this message. We all know the true meaning of Christmas, right? Uh, presents. We are Americans, darn it. We're all about the me, me, me of every holiday that comes by, and Christmas, Christmas is the biggest gimme holiday of them all. So as we take a look at the very last chapter of Matthew's Gospel today, the story about the greatest gift anyone was ever given, by the way, I thought that we might all appreciate unwrapping three smaller, largely unnoticed gifts that he gave us as well. Three gifts of testimony about Jesus, which we can take with us into the new year and on into the rest of our lives. Better yet, I'm going to try to do it in record time because it is Christmas and I am sure that you all want to get on to the best parts of the holiday, like time with your family, or maybe for some of you, time without your family. Personally, I have a very important date with a nap scheduled, and a book that I haven't turned a page of since our holiday season began in November. I can't wait. But I digress, and we better get into our passage so that I can stay on task, right? Matthew chapter 28, we're going to start at verse 1. Matthew 28, verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. All right, now, I'm going to try not to stop a whole lot inside each of these three passages, but I know that some of you may not know what's happening at this point. So let me give you the thumbnail version. Matthew's been telling us a story about a man named Jesus. Jesus was born in some unusual circumstances. He lived a, a pretty amazing life where he traveled his homeland, healing people and teaching them how to live full, whole lives by seeking God's will and then doing it. Jesus's main message was that we are all in this together. We are all God's beloved children and that we should commit ourselves to caring for one another instead of trying to take advantage of and kill one another. In fact, he insisted that this is what God intended and that the first step to God's kingdom being fully realized in our world is for God's people to begin to live as if they are already part of that kingdom. This idea that we should all love one another and not hate or otherwise devalue anyone wasn't very popular with the ruling class. So they manipulated the justice system to get Jesus executed, which they thought would for sure put an end to his nonsense. I mean, once you're dead, it's over, right? So if Jesus was this miracle Messiah that his followers seemed to think he was, well, then surely he would strike back in some way to prove himself rather than allowing himself to be crucified and praying for the forgiveness of those who are nailing him up, right? Right? Now, in the passage leading up to this chapter, we saw how everyone was fully aware of one fact, one thing that they all agreed on. Jesus was dead. His closest followers had scattered. They didn't want to be associated with someone who'd been crucified because that kind of thing was catching. If you seemed to be with the condemned, that kind of signed your own death warrant back then. The accusers... They were satisfied that Jesus was dead and they had the tomb sealed and they had guards posted so that no one would be able to say otherwise. The Romans, the Romans were aware that Jesus was dead. I mean, they killed him and they were very, very good at making sure that people that they killed were really and truly dead. 
And and some of the women who'd been disciples of Jesus, they'd followed his body to see where it was laid to rest. They knew that he was dead. They knew he hadn't been properly wrapped for burial according to their customs. There, there just wasn't time that night because it was the Sabbath coming in and all work all across the country would cease at sundown as that Sabbath day began. Remember uh, in the calendar in the first century in Palestine, uh, a day began at sunset and ended at the next sunset. So uh, I always got to keep that in mind when we're talking about times. Um, now these women who'd followed him, they wanted to be ready so that they could go finish the job so that Jesus could decay in peace. So they hurried home before the Sabbath began and they gathered what they could to commit his flesh to the earth. But Saturday night, they had to stop. Just after sundown, I'm sorry, Friday night, they had to stop. Saturday night, just after sundown, then they went and acquired the supplies they needed in town. And then Sunday morning, as first light just began to illumine the horizon, these two women named Mary and one or two other women headed out to do this final thing for Jesus, who was dead. Except, while they were trying to do that, another thing happened. Look at verse 2. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Do not be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body was lying. And now, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. Remember what I have told you. Huh. All right. Uh, first off, what? A an earthquake and a guy shows up and seems to open the tomb on his own? I mean, that's crazy. Those stones were too big for any one person to move away from the entrance. That's part of why they were there. And the soldiers from the governor's own guard fainting dead away. I mean, these are veteran legionnaires. These guys were, were iron hard and battle tested. And something shook them so much that they were just overwhelmed and knocked clean out. That was probably too much to take in already. But then there was this guy who moved the stone. He's talking to the women saying something that just didn't make sense. What was it? Uh, oh, uh, what was that? Um, oh, yeah, Jesus has risen from the dead. I mean, he was dead. People who are dead don't come back. Dead is dead, isn't it? That's why we have all these zombie movies, because we love to be frightened by something that can't possibly happen. But this guy tells the women they're supposed to go tell the men who followed Jesus that he's heading home to Galilee. Did I say that this is all crazy? I mean, it can't be anything else, can it? It's got to be crazy. But didn't Jesus say something about being killed and then rising on the third day? I mean, no one had actually thought that he meant that, like, for real. They all thought that this was one of those parable things. I mean, they just didn't get. Jesus did that to them all the time, right? He said something that seemed crazy, and it just meant something else. There's just something else he meant by the whole thing. But this time, could he actually have meant it exactly the way that he said it? Look what happened next. Verse 8. 
The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. As they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. I, 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 oh my God. And I'm not saying that like a saying. I'm saying that because it seems to be what they're thinking at this point. Oh my God, what have you done? Jesus is alive. The broken, bloodied corpse. It's now Jesus again. It's whole, smiling, laughing, restored to who he was. No, wait, maybe something else. Maybe something more than he'd been before. And he gives this, this instruction. Go and tell. Don't keep this to yourself. Go make it known. And there's the first gift here that we tend to miss. It's something we miss because it is so alien to our culture and our time. See, women, women weren't allowed to carry news. I know it seems crazy, but they, they just weren't. They didn't have the authority at that time in that place to tell people things. They weren't even allowed to be witnesses in a trial, even if a whole group of them had seen something together. Women, well, they weren't valued that way in the ancient Near East. Nowadays, there are some people who try to cling to those old ways where women have less value than men or where they're not allowed to be the ones who get to tell the story of what happened to Jesus. And the folks who do that, they're wrong. If these women were good enough for Jesus, why wouldn't they be good enough for you? After all, Jesus... He's been restored and raised. I mean, no one can do that. That is a God thing. And if God cared to raise Jesus back to life in this way that had never been done before, then it follows that God wants us to pay attention to Jesus. If he didn't want that, Jesus would have just stayed dead. God gave the world a gift by resurrecting Jesus to show us that he really was and is someone worth following. And Jesus is giving the world a gift we already had but just weren't using, the gift of equality. The gift where each person, male or female or whatever, has value and should be treated as God's beloved child because we all are. Any barrier or rejection of a person becomes a rejection of God. Speaking of which, some of the people who'd arranged for Jesus to be killed to stop him from spreading exactly that kind of message, those people aren't going to be very happy about whatever it is that just happened, are they? Hmm, let's take a look and uh, find out. Verse 11 says, As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. And their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. I, I gotta tell you, I'm a little uncomfortable with the translation of that last sentence. It's not wrong exactly, but maybe it doesn't say the Jews like we would. It's referring to the Judeans, which is kind of the same thing as referring to the Jewish people, but it's also referring to a specific group, uh, the elite city dwellers. 
rather than talking about the whole ethnic group or religious sect. Maybe I'm making too much of this. It's just that there's been so much anti-Semitic foolishness in the world recently that I want to be extra sensitive to things which could get pulled out of context and used in a prejudicial way. Right? Here's what this section is telling us. The section is telling us that the guards went back to the people who had asked for them to be posted there, and they told them what they knew about what happened. Those people, the leaders who pulled the strings to nail Jesus to the cross, they're suddenly concerned that something bigger than them is going on. Think about what the soldiers have seen of what's happened. There was an earthquake and a light and the tomb was open and the soldiers fainted. I wonder if they told it that way to the leaders or if they tried to make things sound better. You know, hey, yeah, we were uh, watching that tomb when the earthquake hit. Man, it knocked us clean off our feet. Um, and that stone, it just rolled away. And we checked to make sure everything was where it was supposed to be. But the body was just clean gone. Now, we know no one took it because we were watching. But it isn't there. So the leaders, they're not worried the body's been taken. Or maybe, maybe what Jesus said about rising from the dead actually happened. But either way, things suddenly seem like they're going sideways for them, don't they? So they offer the soldiers a comfortable retirement in exchange for saying that they really just did a bad, bad job of guarding the tomb. Plus, the Jewish leaders say that, look, they'd go to bat for the guards with their boss, the governor, to keep him from doing what he would usually do in the kind of situation where his soldiers failed to do their assigned duty, which is terminate them. And by terminate... I do not mean that he wants to fire them. I mean, terminate them. For soldiers, for these soldiers in particular, this is probably not a hard choice. See, if they do what they're told, they walk away with money and cover, and all they need to do is compromise their integrity. If they don't do it, then Pilate might have them killed for not keeping Jesus in the tomb, no matter what they tell him about how that whole thing went down. So these guys took the cash and they started the rumors that they were told to. And by now you're probably saying, well, how is that a gift for us? Well, because the story that the guards are given to tell, there's no better word for it. It's stupid. It is so obviously false that the people of that day knew that it was wrong and they figured out what happened and they shared the details here so the readers could know where these stories of a body being stolen came from. Now, why do I say that it's stupid? Because there's no reason to take a body. I mean, grave robbing happened. Yeah, it happened all the time, but it didn't happen when there were guards there, which is part of the reason this squad was posted here to start with. But grave robbers, they would break into tombs in order to take treasures. There was no reason for them to take a body. Even if it was the disciples robbing the grave, what would they do with dead Jesus? Take him on a road tour. Hey, look, here's the body of our rabbi. He was cool, but now he's dead. Come be like Jesus. It doesn't make sense. In their time and place, trying to build anything on a corpse, or even the absence of a corpse, would have been inviting people to join with them in the shame of this criminal's death that Jesus had suffered without giving them any reason to do so. Hey, come hook yourself up and see if you can get yourself crucified, just like Jesus. Besides, remember, 
there was no expectation that Jesus was literally going to be resurrected. Certainly not among his key disciples. Well, let's tear the paper off gift number three so we can understand what kind of mindset those guys were in. Verse 16, we're still in Matthew 28. It's the last chapter of Matthew, and these are the last few verses. Matthew 28 at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. I need to stop here so we can take that in. Jesus was dead. As in, shredded, broken, stabbed, bled out, dead. He was buried. His body was starting to decay. His disciples had fled, knowing that Jesus was dead. But the stories of the women who were disciples got at least a couple of these guys to go look in the tomb for themselves, and it was empty. And then going back to meet Jesus in Galilee, that might sound crazy when they know that he's dead, no matter what they're being told. But Galilee was home for most of these guys, and it was also a long way from Jerusalem, and none of them wanted to be anywhere near Jerusalem right at this minute. They may not be specifically wanted men, but they weren't going to be free to wander the city either. There was too much chance someone would recognize that they had been with Jesus. And then nail them to a cross. So, they went. Alright, let's go to Galilee. Maybe no one will notice. And when they were there, they saw Jesus. He was alive. He was restored. He was resurrected. I mean, it was too much to believe, right? It was. So some of them doubted. Now, we've got some limitations here. Because Matthew had some limitations. Namely, He's at the end of his scroll. You can't add another page to those things. He has to fit every word into the space that he's got. And with scrolls, those things were really expensive, so you wanted to fill them up as much as possible, but you couldn't go over. You couldn't just like say, oh, I'll start a second scroll, because uh, then you end up with a couple of lines on that and a really expensive scroll that you just have to get rid of, or get rid of, uh, just uh, leave empty. Now... For Matthew, we've seen that fitting things in means that he gives less and less details as he got closer to the end. I think he expects that his readers may have heard stories about some of the doubts. One of the gospel writers, who wrote a number of years later, he included this one story about a doubting disciple who refused to believe the report of the women or the report of the other disciples when they saw the risen Jesus. Not until he could put his own eyes on Jesus, risen, alive, and restored, would he believe. His name was Thomas. And in John chapter 20, we see that he tells the others who said they saw Jesus that they were all just off their nut. Until he saw and examined Jesus for himself to see that he was really alive and not just a spirit or a hoax or a joke in really poor taste, he wasn't having it. And after Jesus appeared to him, Thomas was so struck by the reality of the resurrection that he not only worshipped Jesus, but he recognized and acknowledged him as divine God as well as being the human Messiah. That was something the others still seemed to have been coming to terms with even after having seen Jesus risen. Thomas and the others, they gave us the gift of questions. See, questions aren't bad. Doubts aren't evil. They're not a failure of faith. None of that. 
These are things that God prays throughout scripture, in fact. Taking what we're taught and checking it out for ourselves, examining the scriptures to see if what the teacher says is true or not, consulting with our faith community to see if certain teachings make sense or not, these are all commendable things and they're all things that are commended in the Bible. No one ever asks for blind faith, especially not God. God always allowed people to question him. He didn't always give answers, but he certainly allowed questions. Job, for example, Job, he asks and he asks and he asks and he asks and God finally answers by asking him questions about the creation of the cosmos and then telling him to come back for answers once he understood all that stuff. I guess some answers need to be worked up to, right? But doubt, doubt is valuable. It drives us to learn more. It pushes us to try to understand more about how God relates to us and how we relate to God and what does it all mean and how does living in his kingdom differ from living in this world as if this is all there is, right? And this is one of the gifts I personally treasure above all others. It's why I invite you to ask questions when you have them. Like I said before, we are all in this together. We should seek answers together. We should push one another to ever greater understanding and faith. I said I'd try to stay brief today, didn't I? <laughs> I'm not sure I've succeeded. Let's finish the very last bit that Matthew recorded for us, all right? Start at verse 18, and we're going to go through verse 20. Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is like, hey, look, I've been raised because God has approved my message and given me authority to lead us into the next big thing. And that thing is to bring everyone together, draw people in from every people group and make them part of the kingdom of God. Do what I told you. <laughs> Do we all remember what that was? The ultimate instruction Jesus gave to his followers was simply this. Go love. It means uh, choose to put the welfare of the other ahead of the desires of the self. Choose to recognize every person is God's beloved child and should be treated as such. Yes, even that one you haven't learned to like. And then Matthew closed us with what he thought was the most important thought from the person that he recognized as being fully human, completely divine, the long-promised king of kings, and the savior of the whole world. Jesus promised that he would be with us always. That is a gift that I hope each one of us gets excited about. In fact, Matthew, he ended, he ran out of uh, scroll right there. That's it. That's the last line. That's the last space he's done. How can I do any better than that? Jesus said, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Got any comments or questions? Hey, ask them. State them. 
Share your concerns, your confusions, your doubts, your uncertainties. Work through this stuff. We can wrestle through all the scriptures together and figure out how do they apply to us and the world around us, the world that we live in today, right? Happy Christmas, everyone. Grace and peace to each and every one of you. See you next year.